Hello, and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, Episode 2. My name is Adam, also known as Fuck You, That's My Name. That is a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin reference, in case you didn't know. Today, we're going to be talking about Jeffrey Dahmer, film and media. We're going to start off today with a 2012 graphic novel by artist and writer Durf Backdurf, entitled My Friend Dahmer. And I'm going to read a portion out of the inside cover of that graphic novel. We all know what Dahmer did. But in My Friend Dahmer, Backdurf provides, from his unique vantage point, profound and at times even strangely comic insight into how, and more important, why Jeffrey Dahmer transformed from a high school nerd into a depraved fiend as notorious as Jack the Ripper. Mm, Fascinating. Here's a quote from the back cover of the book by author Chuck Klosterman writer of Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs quote if you want to read a heavy story about a disturbing teenager my friend Dahmer will certainly quench your dark little desires but this book is about a lot of other things that matter much much more the institutionalized weirdness of the suburban 70s, what it means to be friends with someone you don't really like, a cogent explanation as to why terrible things happen, and a means for feeling sympathy towards those who don't seem to deserve it. End quote. Well, My Friend Dahmer is a graphic novel um, that comes from the perspective of the author of, of, of the book. A true story. And Durf Backdurf went to high school in Ohio with Jeffrey Dahmer. 70s and was friends with him for a period of time and the book shows there's not much too gruesome or anything you would relate to Jeffrey Dahmer in terms of cannibalism necrophilia things of that nature my friend Dahmer shows a young Jeffrey Dahmer and his evolution into becoming the grotesque monster he ended up becoming. And in a very relatable way, 
Jeffrey Dahmer is probably, in my opinion, one of the more relatable serial killers. As opposed to such serial killers like Charles Manson or John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy. who were rather outgoing. They were people who surrounded themselves with people who surrounded themselves with people to give the appearance of their supposed normalcy or had, in the case of Manson, a cult of worshippers that surrounded him and would obey his commands even to the extent of murder. Dahmer wasn't like this. Dahmer had, especially since this story is in the context of a teenager, so it's a very after-school special type of story in a way Dahmer uh, dealt with loneliness and alienation and and turned to alcohol to deal with a lot of his issues uh, one being a closeted homosexual during a time in the 70s when one's sexual preference was not discussed, particularly in a suburban Midwestern household. Um, and certainly not openly with your classmates. And Backdurf uh, touches on this in the book where certain certain issues just weren't discussed. They just weren't um, part of the conversation. Also, Jeffrey Dahmer had uh, parents who would ultimately separate, would argue and fight uh, in the home, in his presence, in his little brother's presence. And... So he, uh, like many people, he had to watch his parents, um, watch their marriage fall apart and watch them separate. And um, in the case of his mother, had, it's not terribly specific, but it's, it's definitely, it's definitely inferred that his uh, mother had some type of some type of mental issues going on with her some type of cognitive um decline of some kind and this affected her her mood her, her personality how she um dealt with her husband and how she dealt with her children and 
these are all things that are uh, quite a bit more relatable. These are all things that take place in many normal suburban households. And aren't specific, such as, you know, to, they're not specific in, in the way that other serial killers' upbringings are. A lot of times there is a... Uh, some type of sexual abuse in their childhood. Yeah, and Jeffrey Dahmer is a is a is an interesting case in that way. The the mundaneness of a strange loner who can only really find comfort in the morbid thoughts in his own head. But my friend Dahmer's a really it's a it's a really good read. It's a it's a very quick read. It's a two hundred and twenty four page graphic novel. Originally my friend Dahmer was released in two thousand two and was a twenty four page uh, comic and a lot of the things from the original comic are in the finished long form version but the long form version really nails it and Bachdorf's writing style is really interesting there's a lot of there's a lot of um inside jokiness type of dialogue when characters talk to each other you can tell they know each other and um, there's also a lot of uh, internal dialogue, even if there's not words on the page. Like there'll be just completely blank panels, and just showing the character from panel to panel, and you totally understand what's going on inside the character's head. And, uh, and, and those panels are usually um, panels of Dahmer alone. So I think that really drives the, uh, drives the whole Dahmer being alone with his inner dialogue. And you even even as the reader, you don't get to read what his inner dialogue is a lot of the time. You just watch and you watch his actions and you can kind of piece together what he is thinking. Also, there's lovely omniscient like um, narration in the book as well that kind of ties everything together. Um, Durf back Durf is he's not like a true crime graphic graphic novel writer or anything like that he's this is the only this is the only book he's actually touched on uh the topic of serial killer because he actually went to high school with Jeffrey Dahmer and 
um, before that. Uh, and you can actually go, I definitely recommend going to his website. It's derfcity.com, D-E-R-F city.com. Or you can go to your local comic book shop and hopefully they would carry some of his stuff. It's very good. Um, especially if you're a an avid comic book reader and you want to kind of look, give your eyes a, a, a respite from the usual stuff that you read from, you know, kind of a break from certain types of art styles and writing. This is, this is, this is a nice change of pace. Uh, chronologically, uh, back Durf, uh, in his graphic novel career. Uh, let's see, there was punk rock and trailer parks. And that was, his first graphic novel, followed by My Friend Dahmer, and after that, uh, Trashed. And Trashed is good. Trashed is the uh, the first of his graphic novels that I purchased, and it's and it's it's autobiographical. It's about his time as a young man uh, working as a as a garbage man, as a trash collector. And I got a kick out of that book a lot. It really, if you've ever had the t- a menial, disgusting job, this this book totally gets that. Or maybe you have a menial, disgusting job now. Like trashed is trashed is right there with you. And a lot of inner dialogue. It's him working as a garbage man and him going through his day and dealing with just a blue collar job in a, in a way that's very interesting. You know, you, you wouldn't think that a book about a garbage man would be interesting, but he pulls it off very well. And there's a lot of, it's very funny. His art itself is very funny. So trashed is really good. Followed by uh, Kent State, Four Dead in Ohio. I haven't read uh, read Kent State, so, but Backdurf is from Ohio, has a Midwestern point of view, and the uh, event at Kent State where college students were shot and killed on campus. Very scary. You know, it's that's it feels like something that could happen today. It's it, it has relevance. Um and I haven't read that, but I'd really like to. My first exposure to Backdurf was a comic uh, entitled True Stories, Volume 1. And it's a collected works of a comic strip that Backdurf wrote and drew for called The City. And The City was in a bunch of major metropolitan cities and um, had a pretty good run. Um, I mean, so much so where he 
he can collect it all years later and and release. And um they're not really interconnected stories, they're they're you know, very short comic strips um stories and they're mostly about um very observational type comedy. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's fairly political, has a socioeconomic kind of slant to things. Um, yeah, I actually only own True Stories Volume 1. I know that there's probably like four or five other ones, and I'd want to collect those at some point. But again... Uh, DurfCity.com or check your local comic book shop. Uh, he has really good stuff. And my friend Dahmer is, I mean, huge award-winning, um, like this, this is like the book that he's known for and it's really good. And when you read it, you're like, you'll be glad you did. And I, You'll go back and read it from time to time. It's a quick read, but it's fun. Um, also, if you're just not into serial killer culture in any way, like some something like this is very approachable. And the movie My Friend Dahmer is very approachable. You know, it's very, um, it's a period piece. It has humor. It has moments of suspense and um, it's it's very well balanced, and also my friend Dahmer the movie, because the graphic novel was adapted into a film released in two thousand seventeen. The book is, I mean, the movie is a very it's very close to the book, very very close. It's, um, which is really neat. <laughs> Especially how um, how butchered a lot of um, books get adapted into film. Um, you don't have to worry about that with My Friend Dahmer. It's a faithful adaptation. Let's see. My Friend Dahmer, um, released in 2017. It's uh, starring Ross Lynch, who I wasn't really familiar with when I saw it. And then I watched... Um, the Netflix series, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which of course is a reboot of Sabrina the Teenage Witch series that ran from uh, 1996 to 2003. And he plays, uh, Ross Lynch plays the character of Harvey, who's Sabrina's uh, love interest in the show. And the show is a, it's a, it's a fine show. I mean, it definitely has its uh, issues, but <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. It has its issues, but it's it's actually not a bad it's not a bad show. It's um, I I mean I, I the Sabrina teenage witch fans the the OG fans are probably pretty rabid and very protective of the original series, and I don't know how they feel about the new one, but you know, I've seen. Most of the chilling adventures of Sabrina, and it's it's fine. 
it balances out, you know, teenage coming of age story with horror fairly well, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's not a very good review, is it? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's not, that's not really my type of show anyways, but I did end up watching a ton of it. Anyways, uh, so Ross Lynch does a really good job, and from what I can tell, um, from what I understand, he's was like a like a Disney kid actor, and um, <laughs> when he made the jump from Disney, uh, I guess he thought, okay, a serial killer graphic novel adaptation. That's the f- first film I want to make and good for him good for him you I you know I've, I've looked at a bunch of interviews of uh, of him and he seems like a fairly sharp dude and he wanted to do something different he didn't want to be boxed in to what he was kind of known for and I think a lot of I mean that's nothing new a lot of Disney uh act you know actors and actresses like kid actors, a lot of them kind of move on to do some pretty gnarly stuff. So that's cool. And um, in the film, uh, Durf Backdurf's character is played by Alex Wolf, who at this point everyone knows Alex Wolf. He's in everything. He's everywhere. He's uh, of course he played the son in 2018's Hereditary. And uh, just this year, 2021, he was in M. Night Shyamalan's Old and the Nicolas Cage um, film Pig. He's also in that. He's a pretty good actor. I, you know, I like him a lot. He kind of, he has this sort of... uh, perpetual youth thing going on. He's got the, maybe not so much in the looks, but just how he looks. He's got sort of the Mario Lopez, A.C. Slater thing going on. You know, like he looks 19 all the time in every movie. And he, he, you know, he could probably pay 10 years from now, he could probably still play a high school kid. So, you know, that's cool. So if you've already, and if you're into spoilers, I'm, this is your spoiler warning now. I personally don't believe in spoilers. Um, this is a uh, controversial uh, thing to say, I know. But um, I, don't, I don't believe in spoilers at all because I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And... The 80s and 90s, if you missed giant blockbuster films uh, because you were rather too young or you you just didn't see it, like, everything got spoiled. Jaws got spoiled, uh, Star Wars, everything got spoiled. And if things were good enough, it didn't matter that it got spoiled. It just didn't matter. I mean, you could tell me the beginning, middle, and end of every John Carpenter film. You know, if if in a hypothetical world I had no knowledge of any of those films, 
and you can just tell me the beginning, middle, and end, and I'd I would watch them, and I would still think they're awesome. It, like it wouldn't really matter. And here, also, not to get too far off into the weeds, but I've had movies many, many, many times recommended to me by people who, not just strangers, but like people who uh, know me enough to the point where they think they can recommend movies to me. And I would take the recommendation and I would go watch some of these, whether if it was movies, TV shows, and even music I've had recommended to me and where and then you you watch it or you listen to it and it's awful. And and then and then you have the 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 uncomfortable uh problem of going back to the person and asking them why would you recommend that movie to me? It was really bad. Like you hyped it up way too hard and I watched it and it's not great. Or it's just painfully mediocre or even worse, boring. And now you kind of think less of that person now. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's I don't believe in spoilers. But for you, you get a spoiler warning because I am a very conscientious person. Again, this episode is sponsored by coffee. Which brand? I'm not going to tell you which brand. Uh, it is a uh, it's a Texas coffee, and it's sold at like every H E B. There you go. That's that's all you get to know. So for people who have actually read the book and watch and and watch the movie. Or if you've only watched the movie but haven't read the book, um, I guess it doesn't really matter too much because they're they're very very close. They're very similar. Like the book is practically a movie. So um, there is a few things that are, if you're looking for them, or if you just happen to pick up on you know continuity things because this is how your mind works. There's a few things in the movie that. Um, are reoccurring that I've noticed. Um, for instance, the character of Durf Backdurf, Alex Wolf's character, is inserted into um, a few scenes in the movie that he wasn't present for in the book. So the book itself, the reason that it went from originally a 24-page to 224 pages is because between the first version and the final version, Backdurf did a huge amount of research, interviewing classmates, teachers, police, uh, just compiling stories and making a timeline uh, coupled with his memories of Dahmer and getting a more deeper... Uh, a deeper uh, amount of information to make a more rich story. And some of the stories he wasn't there for, they're just uh, recollections from friends of his. 
So, uh, for instance, there is a scene. It's in the book, and it's in the movie, and they're uh, pretty much the same. There's a scene where Bacterf goes, I'm sorry, uh, Dahmer, rather, goes fishing with a one of the local neighborhood kids, and uh, this is in a, a kind of a rural area, and the neighborhood kid, there was like a pond, like a man-made pond on his family's property, and it had fish in it, and they go down to this little fishing pond, and the kid tells Dahmer, okay, the fish here, you can you can catch them, but you have to throw them back. And they're sitting there fishing, and Dahmer uh, catches a fish. And in the book, he tells Dahmer, okay, um, like, release the fish off the hook and throw them back in the water. And instead, Dahmer pulls out a knife, and instead of releasing the fish from the hook, he stabs the fish to death, just hacks it to pieces. And that's, you know, one of those serial killer things, you know? Practicing killing on small animals, and in this case, a fish. And to later move on to larger prey. And that scene's in the movie, but in the movie, uh, Bacterf is in is with them at the fishing pond. And another thing that's weird, and uh, instead of Dahmer pulling out a knife and killing the fish, the kid who brought him to the fishing hole hands him a knife, which I thought was... I don't know why that was in there. Like, why wouldn't Jeffrey Dahmer just have a knife on him? I don't think that's too unusual. I had a knife on me <laughs> most of my childhood. You know, I was like a Boy Scout, you know, for a time. And, you know, if you were if you were in the Scouts, you just had, a, you know, you had a knife. You know, a knife or a Swiss Army knife or something like that. It wasn't weird to be carrying around a pocket knife. Anyways, um, so there's things like that. There's there was a scene where um, so there was there was things like that. There uh, were uh, were the Bacter character sort of like inserted into a scene. Um, there <laughs> there's one scene that's kind of a funny version of that theme where uh, there's a class field trip to Washington, D.C., and they, so the class, so a couple of the class members, it was, it was Dahmer and a couple of classmates try to, um, they, they obviously can't get, they, they want to go interview the president for their school paper, and obviously they can't do that, so, um, they get the idea of like, okay, well, maybe we can, maybe we can get an interview with the vice president, who at the time was Walter Mondale, 
vice president to President Jimmy Car uh, Carter. So everyone in the group is like, we're never going to be able to interview this guy. It's just not going to happen. And and Dahmer's like, well, let me let me go make a phone call. He jumps in this phone booth, make you know, makes a you know, and within in a short period of time, Dahmer is able to set up a meeting with the vice president, and everyone is just sort of amazed by this. And it's a scene that sort of shows the cunningness of Jeffrey Dahmer, his able his ability to bullshit people and gain their confidence, which would l later become a useful tool for his life of crime. Um, but in the scene, like in the book, Jeffrey Dahmer jumps in the phone booth by himself and makes the phone call. And when he's done, he kind of gives everyone a thumbs up and they're like, what happened? He's like, we got a meeting with the vice president. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to his office right now. And everyone's completely amazed by this. Uh, in the movie, Dahmer's in the phone booth. He's on the phone. He's getting a hold of the vice president's office. And, um, like, <laughs> and, and, and the, the Durf character just jumps into the phone booth with him. Like, they're smashed next to each other, like, trying to listen into the phone. And I thought that was, like, funny that there's, at some point, they, someone making the movie was like, okay, we need to have the Alex Wolf character in, in, uh, we need to have Alex Wolf in, we need to literally cram him in to every scene with Dahmer as we possibly can because, you know, it, it would probably seem a little weird if he's not there during a lot of these scenes where in the book he wasn't there. So, I mean, that's not really a criticism. It's just something I noticed. Um, you know, and like I said, the book is very faithful to the movie. And there's a few things that are just sort of omitted. Like one thing, um, the, in the book, and it's actually kind of like a post-credit scene in the book. Um, there's all of the source material is cited in the back of the book at the end of the book. So when the book ends, there's like all the source material. But then at the end end, like the last couple of pages, the story picks back up and it jumps forward in time to 1991 and Durf getting a phone call um, telling him that person in the line is telling him that um, a guy has been caught in Milwaukee and he he had a bunch of body parts crammed in refrigerators in his house and uh, all this sort of thing and the guy was caught and he was he's told that the guy who got caught was in Durf's graduating class and Durf thought it was this one kid. Um, and then the person's like, no, guess again. And he's like, was it Dahmer? And he's like, yes, it was Dahmer. And 
it was a scene of just pure shock. I mean, I would, how shocked would you be if somebody you were sort of friends with in high school turned out to be the, the mo- one of the most prolific serial killers ever? That would be rather shocking. I, I, I can say for myself that I have, um, I did go to high school with a guy who ended up killing his girlfriend and she lived down the street from where I grew up. Like, yeah, she lived down the street from me and, um, yeah, this, this dude, like I went to, you know, like I was in ROTC and shit and this guy was like in, I think he was in my ROTC class at one point. Anyways, I went to school with the guy, and they were dating, and she went missing. And they ended up finding her body in a uh, buried in, in like a construction zone, in this like industrial area where they were building like a new Home Depot. And he was immediately suspected, and they had you know they had the funeral, and everyone from school went to the funeral, and. The Cops were there, you know, videotaping everyone's license plate. It was a whole fucking shit show. And, you know, after some interrogation, it was found that, you know, her boyfriend murdered her with a couple of accomplices. And um, there actually was quite a bit of that in the Central Valley in California in the 90s. There was quite a bit of things like that I grew up around. Uh, Luckily, I never got tied up. I never got wrapped up in any of that. But, you know, there was, like, things like that happened. There was this, there was this, a friend of mine, my friend in high school, um, lived in this apartment complex with his baby mama and uh, this one really gnarly chick who lived in the apartment complex who would, like, sell us drugs. Was <laughs> this a drug dealer? Um, and, like, I don't, I don't know. We got along with her, like, decently. We, I definitely would not consider her a friend or anything like that. It was more of, like, a, a business associate. But yeah, at one point, uh, she and a couple other guys decided one night to go to, I believe it was a liquor store owned by a family, and um, it was the father and the son closing the shop, closing the liquor store down, and her and her accomplices came in there, killed the father and son, and robbed the place. And they were caught, and they're rotting away in prison right now. You know, it's uh, stuff like that. Stuff like that. There was a lot of that where I grew up. <laughs> you know, um, so, um, yeah, getting <laughs> getting back to the movie. So that scene of uh, Bacterf getting informed that Dahmer is, was caught, 
Uh, it's in the book. It's not in the movie. And I don't think it needs to be in the movie, but I think it would have been funny if they had that scene and it's just Alex Wolf still looking 19, but it's 10 years later. I think that would have been pretty funny. But I do like the way the movie ended. It just it just kind of ends and so um you know it it ends with kind of like the the book um it ends with you know Dahmer picks up his first victim so the whole book he hasn't killed anybody um i mean besides some animals maybe and but no people and the book sort of ends right at um Dahmer choosing his first victim and it's like a hitchhiker some 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 guys getting out of some concert he picks the guy up and then uh, you know he was never seen again you know that's pretty pretty chilling so that was my friend Dahmer I definitely recommend the movie I recommend the book check it out um, but my, besides television interviews, uh, on major primetime TV, um, there was the Jeffrey Dahmer interview with Stone Phillips in the nineties. Uh, it was actually him and Lionel Dahmer, his father were both interviewed by Stone Phillips. Um, but Jeffrey Dahmer did a fair amount of press after he was caught, and that was very much a thing of the time. Very much a thing of the time. Um, you know, in in the eighties, in the nineties, there was interviews with serial killers, and it, they were put on TV all the time. There was Manson interviews. Dahmer uh, interviews. Um, it's it was a time where uh, you could write a serial killer, and a serial killer would write you back. And uh, there was a, an accessibility to these to these people. You know, you you can just contact Richard Ramirez. Yeah. I there was a guy out in the Bay Area. He was a tattoo artist guy, and he had a he worked at a shop in I believe Alameda, Alameda, California, just on the other side of uh, it's over in the East Bay next to Oakland, and he had a small museum in the back of this shop that he worked at. And it was like a collection of all of his serial killer memorabilia. So he had he had letters from letters and drawings from Richard Ramirez. He had a uh, a John Wayne Gacy Pogo the Clown painting, and Gacy did a bunch of paint, like a lot of paintings, and he did a lot of duplicates of the same painting. But the Pogo the Clown one was. If you if if you were into metal in the '90s, you may have came across uh, the band Acid Bath, and they have an album cover that's a John Wayne Gacy 
Hogo the Clown painting. Um, but yeah, I saw one of those in real life, and it was it was weird. Uh, he had a skeleton that was allegedly the uh, one of the victims of H. H. Holmes, who had a hotel that he be- he booby trapped and rigged to kill people who stayed at the hotel. I'm surprised that story doesn't get much gets more get more remakes and you know miniseries and things like that made about it. I know that uh, American Horror Story Hotel is based on H.H. H. Holmes. And the H.H. H. Holmes character was played by um what's that dude's name? Quicksilver. <laughs> Quicksilver, you know, Quicksilver from the X-Men movies. Uh Evan Peters. He is actually I don't know when this is ever going to come out, but uh, I saw an article a while ago about Evan Peters is going to play Jeffrey Dahmer in a Netflix series. Keep your eyes out for that. See that? Brought it full circle. Basically, once, once the 90s sort of ended and the 2000s picked up, serial killer... Serial killers in mainstream media started to kind of uh, go away. Like, the occasional movie would be made, but not much. You know, there, there, would, be some, there would be some high points, like uh, David Fincher's Zodiac, which is one of my absolute favorite serial killer movies. Zodiac is an amazing film. It's brilliantly casted it's it's really 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 good and that, that movie's long too like it's it's like the casino of serial killer movies it's insanely long and it's um filled with and there's so many scenes of just dialogue just tons and tons of dialogue but it's but it's not a boring movie ever it doesn't really sag anywhere it's just it's a solid, solid movie, and I definitely recommend, especially with Halloween coming up. If you need some good recommendations, go watch Zodiac. Jake Gyllenhaal's in it, and Robert Downey Jr. And it's it's brilliant. Chloe Sevigny's in it, but you know, other than that, it wasn't um, serial killers. You know, especially visibly. A lot of that was starting to go away, but if you happen to have been walking through Blockbuster's horror section in the early 2000s, you may have come across four straight-to-video-slash-straight-to-DVD serial killer films. There was a film called Gacy, one called Ted Bundy, one called Ed Gein, and one called Dahmer. And these were straight-to-video films about serial killers. And they're all they're all pretty decent. Like, they're all completely watchable. The Gacy movie is very good. Gacy's played by, um, you know, the guy who was Francis Buxton from Pee-wee's Big Adventure? That guy's John Wayne Gacy. Pretty good casting right there. Um, 
Ted Bundy. Um, that movie's pretty good. It's a, it's very. It's kind. It's it's pretty mean spirited type of movie. But I mean, you are talking about the actual crimes of an actual person. So. You know, it's it's gonna come off mean spirited, but it's a, it's kind of unintentionally funny too. Uh, the Ed Gein movie, I don't think I ever saw, so can't help you there. But I did see the Dahmer movie, and I bought the Dahmer movie somewhere. Who knows? Probably some place that's not even open anymore, like Suncoast Video or uh, Borders. <laughs> Somewhere like that. But um, Dahmer was a 2000 movie starring Jeremy Renner before he was Hawkeye in a Marvel movie. He's come a long way. He was a very young, fresh-faced Jeremy Renner. I hadn't watched it in a while, and I remember kind of thinking the movie was, like, I don't know. I don't remember liking it that much but I rewatched it recently and it's actually better than I remember there's a lot of similarities to my friend Dahmer but it it's a lot of it Dahmer is kind of picks up it's almost in a way a sequel to my friend Dahmer in that the timeline takes place after Dahmer um I mean, it basically starts when he killed his first victim when he was a kid, and then it moves on to when he left Ohio for Milwaukee and picked up a job at a chocolate factory and started cruising the local um, gay bars and drugging men, taking them back to his place and killing them. And that's kind of where the movie begins. It definitely dives deeper into Dahmer's alcoholism, him finding his serial killer voice, so to speak. One thing I want to point out in in both the movies, um, in My Friend Dahmer and in the movie just called Dahmer, but Jeffrey Dahmer's dad, uh, Lionel Dahmer, uh, the guys they get to play his dad are really good because he, like, he's a big part of the sort of the Dahmer story. Um, you know, there's, let's see, in the 2002 version, uh, Dahmer's dad's played by um, Bruce Davison, and you you if you saw the early X Men films from the early two thousands, there was, um, yeah, Bruce Davison played Senator Kelly in uh, X Men and X Men Two, and he eventually gets turned into a water blob monster, and then he just turns into water and. Disappears. <laughs> That's his story arc in the X Men films. But that guy is 
a really good actor, and he's um. If you were ever into the TV series from the eighties, um, called B, the science fiction reptilians coming to take over the world miniseries, uh, he is also in that. So if you're if you're a fan of B, uh, yeah, uh, Bruce Davidson is he was in that, and then you know. You know, over a decade later, he ended up uh, being in uh, in the X Men, so that's pretty cool. He was also in um, even before B. He was in um, an episode of uh, Tales from the Dark Side. If people who are t- fans of Tales from the, I'm I'm a fan of Tales from the Dark Side, and um, a lot of people hate it, but I I think it's pretty good. <laughs> I think it's pretty decent, e- even though it's it's a lot of the episodes are pretty bad. The ones that are good are great. But, I mean, if you want to watch something really fun, you know, you can watch Tales from the Crypt or, uh, ooh, the 90s Outer Limits. The Outer Limits series from the 90s is really good. I definitely recommend watching that. It's good shit. Yeah, the the... Dahmer 2002 movie is more of a an examination of Dahmer once he was past the point of no return. Like he he had a couple of murders under his belt and there came a point where he was in cuz really his his murders took place in a very small window of time and he killed I think he killed seventeen. Killed seventeen uh, men, but um, you know, I think he went to a prison for only like sixteen of them, something, something like that. Don't get mad at me if I don't get fucking Jeffrey Dahmer's body count exactly right. I know some assholes probably. It's not how many people he killed. You're wrong. Thumbs down. Oh yeah, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, his his murder spree was really in a fairly short window of time, and in that time, um, it was a really violent spiral. For it was a very a downward spiral that was really intense. And when interviewed, Jeffrey Dahmer really says that it was he was really he just wanted he actually just wanted to be caught. Like, he didn't want to stop killing, but at the same time, he knew that this had to end. And when it did end, he was actually relieved. And it's easy to write Jeffrey Dahmer off as a crazy person, but, I mean, it, at least in a court of, court of law in, in the state of Wisconsin, uh, he was not found to be insane. He was found completely sane and able to stand trial. Even though he tried to go for an insanity plea, but I think even he knew he wasn't insane. But yes, the Dahmer 2002 movie, I definitely recommend that. That's more of a kind of a darker darker character study. The third film I want to talk about is entitled The Secret Life, Jeffrey Dahmer. 
It was released in 1993. Now, this movie is a pure exploitation film. At a time where exploitation films weren't really made with the amount of frequency that they you know, were made in maybe a decade or two past, 1993. So, okay, here's here's a timeline for you. 1991, Jeffrey Dahmer gets caught. He gets caught, gets arrested. You see all the news footage of uh, cops in hazmat suits carrying out freezers and barrels filled with dead torsos and heads and shit from his apartment. Like, that's 1991. And, okay, Dahmer was killed in prison by another inmate in 1994. So, in that window of time, uh, the uh, the guy who made The Secret Life, Jeffrey Dahmer, just s- wasted no time at all and immediately wrote, directed, and starred in the film. And it caught a rash of shit for seeming for depicting uh, it was a <laughs> uh, people say the movie was very insensitive towards the victims and I, I really can't argue that um, it really made Dahmer into a sort of like wild cackling murderer you know like rubbing his hands together and <laughs> like, like that kind of evil person and there's really not a, a lot of uh, nuance in it at all. It's just, um, you know, and 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 given given the amount of information that was out about Jeffrey Dahmer, like, you know, this guy kind of had a very bare bones kind of amount of knowledge to work with to make a uh, to make a movie. But he made this, and I mean, he made it right. You know, he made it right in the middle of between when Dahmer was arrested and when he was killed. So inside of like a you know a three year window, he just got this whole thing done. And and the movie looks, I mean, it was made in ninety. It was it came out in ninety three, but it looks like it was made in like seventy three. Like it looks rough. And. Like, it's just a rough-looking made-for-TV movie. And, okay, just to get an idea of what else was going on in 1993, like, here's some movies that came out in 93, okay? Falling Down came out in 93. Uh, Dazed and Confused came out in 93. True Romance. Tombstone. Uh, in the Line of Fire, which is, uh, I'm a giant fan of In the Line of Fire. If you haven't seen In the Line of Fire, uh, watch that. Of all the movies that uh, should get a remake, I think In the Line of Fire can probably be remade every 10 years because it's the most plausible story. Like, it's it's basically, it's this movie about John Malkovich is a former assassin for the government and 
he is displeased with the current administration and wants to cook up a plan to assassinate the president. And he must be stopped by this veteran Secret Service agent well past his prime, uh, Clint Eastwood. And Clint Eastwood has to stop John Malkovich from killing the president. And the whole movie is John Malkovich and how he, his plan to get close enough to the president to actually uh, try to assassinate him. And the movie, like, like his plan could theoretically work. Like, not even by, like, it could definitely work. <laughs> like, when you watch it, you're like, wow, this is actually a pretty good plan. But um, that's probably why it hasn't been remade. You don't want to put fucking <laughs> assassination movies in, uh, you know, in the in the public eye. Give people fucking ideas, I guess. Um, anyways, that came out in 93. Uh n- Ninja Scroll came out in '93, and that's like that's an anime, <laughs> and that looked great. All these movies looked great. There was like there was already sort of like a level of quality in a lot of these movies, and amongst all this, all these great movies, my Secret Life Jeffrey Dahmer came out, and it just looks fucking awful. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe there'll be a Blu-ray release. I don't know. Maybe there's already been a Blu-ray release for all I know. I don't know. But the movie is if you look at it like an exploitation film, you'll get some you'll get some some laughs out of it. It's kind of ridiculous. You know, now that I think about it, I should just do an entire episode about movies from nineteen ninety three. The nineties was really like the best decade for movies, really. As, uh, on a consistent basis, there was always just awesome stuff coming out. Ooh, you know, you know what else came out in '93? Um, there's a, this documentary about uh, Gigi Allen, and if you don't know who Gigi Allen is, just uh, uh, Google it, I guess. Or better yet, like Google it, read what it says, and then go find some videos of Gigi Allen. Um, but there's this documentary called Hated. Gigi Allen and the Murder Junkies. And it was the first, it was the directorial debut of uh, Todd Phillips, who, you know, he did the Hangover movies. He did the uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. And this was kind of where he started his career with this documentary about Gigi Allen. So, um,. That came out in 93. 93 was pretty fucking solid in terms of movies. Like, if, if, you know, if people, people ask you, you know, if you were stuck on a deserted island and you can only listen to one band or you can only listen to one album, my question is if you, you're on a deserted island and you can only watch one year of movies from any decade, you know, what would it be? I don't know. 93 is a pretty good contender. Anyways, I'm not here to talk about Gigi Allen. Y- although, oh, here you go. I'll tie it back in. Uh, Gigi Allen, actually, um, the 
soundtrack to the that documentary hated. Um, actually, I, I think I still have it somewhere. The original soundtrack for that movie, and actually the movie poster, which I have like a reprint of the original movie poster, was a painting by John Wayne Gacy. And it was a painting of Gigi Allen painted by John Wayne Gacy. So there you go. Circled that shit right back to serial killers. So let's review. We have my friend Dahmer. We have Dahmer and the secret life of Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, I would recommend all three of these movies. You know, you might not like all of them, but I think if you if you occasionally research serial killers, serial killer movies, documentaries, you know, true crime stuff, true crime pro- podcast things like that, like I think you'll you'll eventually come across some stuff about Jeffrey Dahmer eventually. And um, I think all three of these movies are are a good watch. Like, it just, you know, there's, the and there you can only watch so many fucking Ted Bundy movies. <laughs> it's like, okay, we get it. He raped a whole bunch of fucking people and smashed their head in with a rock. I get it. He drove a VW Beetle. Good. Great. But yeah, these three Jeffrey Dahmer movies, like, I, w- I would definitely recommend. And um, I would, you know, and there's tons of serial killer books out there. And um, there's all types of stuff on Dahmer. And a- actually, his dad wrote a book. Jeffrey Dahmer's dad wrote a book. And um, I haven't read it, but. I'm kind of conflicted on that dude. He's rather like, he comes off as rather a sort of failed father who just wasn't attentive enough to his son. and Or he's the worst father ever. Like, like he secretly fucked up his son and now he's just sort of like, having his 15 minutes of fame and I can't tell what version he is but I don't know I'm kind of leaning towards he was he tried to be as good of a father as he could but you know shit happens (laughs) Um, so that brings us to I believe 2013, the Jeffrey Dahmer Files, it's available on Netflix, I think you can get it on Amazon, it's it's kind of streaming everywhere at this point, but it's a, um, came out in 2013, and I mean it's on Netflix, you can, you can get it just about anywhere, it's streaming everywhere, but Jeffrey Dahmer Files um, is a documentary uh, mixed with a lot of reenactment footage of Jeffrey Dahmer, and it's largely from the perspective of the arresting officers that um, arrested him and interrogated him 
and really got to know him. And uh, it's pretty good. You know, I, I find a lot of the reenactment stuff a little wonky, but, you know, if you're into true crime, serial killer stuff, like, uh, it's pretty decent, and it's, you know, it's not terribly long, but it's you know, fairly informative. Now, there's been a bunch of Jeffrey Dahmer stuff that's come out. Um, it's a lot of the stuff I'd rather never watched, or I have watched, and I just don't recommend it. Other than that, you really, there's a lot of Jeffrey Dahmer um, interviews from when, you know, after he was caught. It's weird to think about now. He was caught and then just went on a press tour afterwards. It's the weirdest thing. And when you see him in interviews, he just seems like the most repentant person. Like, he... He seems to be truly sorry for what he did, but, I mean, doesn't change the fact that he did what he did. Um, you know, and he doesn't interview like like, like a Charles Manson. You know, he doesn't seem like this. He doesn't come off as this uh, manipulating weirdo. It's just, he seems to be... He's like Ed Kemper, in a way. If you you know seen any of Ed Kemper's interviews, very matter of fact, very calm, and forthcoming with his story. I mean, and and I'm sure you have much better things to do with your time than watch, uh, you know, thirty year old interviews with Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> I understand that. That's why I, I do all this. Uh, I do all the. Uh, I do all the. Uh, the heavy lifting for you, so that you don't have to. One thing I found interesting, and I think it's just because there wasn't a lot of information or documentation about it. Although I could be wrong, is when uh, there was a period of time where Jeffrey Dahmer was in the army. He found out that, he figured out that um, once he got out of college, well, <laughs> let me back up, uh, once he got out of high school and he tried to go to college, that college just wasn't going to work. He had zero discipline, he was obsessed with partying, and he had no interest in academics. So, his his father kind of pushed him towards, why don't you join the military? And... Dahmer was in the military for quite some time. He was stationed overseas and um, ended up getting ended up getting honorably discharged. Um, but I think even as a soldier, he was it was hard for him to keep his shit together. But I mean, not that I'm a aware of there's there's not a lot of information about his military time that I've ever came across and it's certainly not it's not present in any movies I've seen about him at all or documentaries so I wonder if 
you know, there's more going on there. I just can't help but think that maybe he might have killed somebody when he was in the military. That's what I keep thinking about. Like, I could totally see him stationed in Germany somewhere, and he goes out, and, you know, goes through his usual M.O., just drugs some poor dude, strangles the guy, and then dumps his dismembered body somewhere in there, you know. But, you know, there's no, there's no record of anything like that ever happening, and maybe it never happened, but, yeah, that was a good chunk of time where I can't help but think that something, something may have happened, but that's just me putting on my conspiracy theory hat. Okay, so if you've made it this far, congratulations. You know, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't at least bring up that if you're into, if you were into metal, into metal music in um, the 90s and 2000s, you may have come across a band called Macabre. And they had an entire album entitled Dahmer. If you do you want to take a guess what the album's about? Okay. Well, here's a song called Do the Dahmer from the band Macabre. This one goes out to you, Mike. Enjoy, buddy. goes out to my cousin Mike out in California. Hope you enjoyed that, buddy. Also, I 
in the mid to late 90s, my uh, interest in uh, gnarly extreme music was at an all-time high. And around that time, I discovered a band called Dahmer. And I want to play a track from their album, Dahmerized. It's the first track off of Dahmerized, entitled The Hillside Stranglers. Absolutely sensational. That was Dahmer from the album Dahmerized. The track is called The Hillside Stranglers. And that's what I was listening to back in the day. I still have the Dahmerized CD. It's somewhere in storage. I'm sure I, I did a whole bunch of meth and cocaine off of off the CD case yeah good times well who would have thought 20 years later over 20 years later wow over 20 years later I would be sitting here uh, discussing Jeffrey Dahmer films and bringing back up the band Dahmer who would have thunk it but well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, please check out any of Durf Back Durf's uh, works. Check out My Friend Dahmer. Check out the film My Friend Dahmer. And check out the uh, 2002 film starring Jeremy Renner called uh, Simply Dahmer. And uh, it's not called Simply Dahmer. It's just called Dahmer. And check out uh, The Secret Life, Jeffrey Dahmer. If you want to see a um, weird 90s exploitation film about a serial killer. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Skeleton Factory podcast. Rescuing your movie night one movie at a time. Till next time. Bye.